gentlemen, this is another episode of Product Innovation Show with your guest host, Sergey Ross. I'm here with Sean Deckers, who's the head of product design at Digits, a fintech company building tools for businesses and finance, finance professionals. In the past, Sean worked at Google, IDEO, McKinsey, and Visa, all world-class kind of companies. Super excited to have him here with us today. Sean, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. So you work as head of you work as a head of product design. When you are at a party or you meet somebody and they ask you, what do you do? How do you explain that? Gosh, that's a fun one. There's, there's a lot of parts to it. I mean, on one end, I feel like I'm part therapist. So I like to, uh, you know, just talk to a lot of folks, try to understand their problems. Um, that's probably the core of it. Uh, the, the more that uh, we understand the problem, the, the better equipped we are to solve it. And, and then the second part is uh, once we understand the, the problem space, uh, we can start to come up with ideas on, on how to potentially solve it. So very collaborative. Um, I'm talking with, you know, uh, probably 30 to 50 people a week um, on both sides, on the client side and uh, engineers uh, and, and try to basically build that common ground to try to build that bridge between the two and, and see if we can um, solve whatever is ailing them at that point in time. There's a lot of problems, so uh, it keeps me busy. So you're like a facilitator almost. Yeah, I'd say so. I, I think over the years, uh, it, my, my role has changed a lot from from at the beginning um, being very focused on craft uh, to now I'm just like a, a, a conduit uh, facilitator to to try to like build a process, design process to, to make sure that... that um, leaders have the right information to make the best decision. Uh, and also that, that the, the clients and customers are all heard and, and, and provide a voice for, for those folks. Mm. What do you hear? What kind of bad recommendations do you hear in product design? Uh, maybe uh, uh, when you're having a beer or maybe you've seen it online or overheard, like what is the stuff that, shouldn't be done but is recommended such a such a fun question um there's there's so many directions you can go with that um i think the thing that the big thing that i'm always worried about the red flag is i hear the phrase i have an idea and um mm. every time i hear that i'm a little bit worried you know because i think the way that we should be thinking about it is like oh i i heard about this problem or i i really there's this really interesting problem. Uh, and I think I'd love if people would, would kind of shift from focusing on like ideas and solutions to, to going back to, to, to the problem. Um, and, and just one, make sure it's a really good problem and it's important problem um, and has impact. And then once you've done all that due diligence to uh, then, then we could start thinking about um, ideas and even not even really being limited to one idea. Like, there's plenty of ways to, to solve um, a, a problem. So, you know, keep keep your mind open to all the different possibilities, even the things that don't even uh, pop up um, uh, immediately. So you gotta gotta turn all, leave no stones unturned. How do you uh, personally collect ideas? Because I would imagine you have all sorts of these kinds of shower thoughts. Do, where do you where do you normally put them? What, what's your what's your process like to filter them out, 
record them? Yeah, so I think I I really live by the the double diamond uh, design approach. And what that means is you you start at uh, the beginning and and you uh, diverge, which means you uh, go wide and you try to find all the different problems out there uh, in in a particular space. If it's finance or uh, mobility or, or whatever space travel, um, you find all the different problems and then you converge. You find the best problem that you're most equipped to solve and, and that, that has the most viable and, and, and feasible um, that that's, uh, there's technology available to solve. So once you've found that, that problem, then you do it again. You converge again. You try to find all the 100, 500 different ways you can solve it uh, and then converge back on that one, the, the, the best solution, you know, the one that's um, most appropriate and um, cost efficient and, and all the other things. Um, everything else, you know, just put in a parking lot. It's cool. Crazy. We'll come back to it. You know, the world, mm-hmm. the world might not be ready for it. So, um, yeah. What about your career wake up call moments? And I call them that in a sense that what's mm-hmm. something that was big that happened in your career that made you to radically change the way that you do things or either think about things in a different way that could be either a product or it could be design uh, or it could be, for example, user feedback, any of those mm-hmm. moments that you've seen experienced. Yeah. I think, I think idea was really trend transformational um, to, to me as not even just a designer, but as a, as a human, um, I think, uh, prior to the IDEO experience, I felt like I was like an adequate, sorry, just gotta get a glass of water. Oh, no problem. <clears throat> so I think, yeah, I think the one moment that was really transformational for me was, um, IDEO. I think prior to IDEO, I really had this idea of what design was <clears throat> and it's, it's more like the end artifact the end um, piece of value or the design or whatever. Um, and I thought that's all design was. So prior to that, I really focused on that. Like I wanted to be the best craftsperson ever to make the best piece of design or, or product or whatever. Um, but what IDEO kind of taught me was it's more about the process. It's, it's more about understanding the problem space and going through um, the listening part, which is probably the most important part of the whole process, because um, it's really easy to build the wrong thing. And I, I think a lot of folks that have been around for a little bit have inevitably um, built the wrong thing. Uh, you know, something that like doesn't take off or uh, maybe didn't satisfy the needs or, or, or something. So I think um, just listening to users and, and really spending um as much time as you can to evaluate ideas and, and make sure that um, the idea that you're, you're, you're going with is like, has been vetted and you've done your due diligence and, and so on. Um, so yeah, listen, less, to less married, le- less married to the actual design, but more towards like, does it actually solve the problem? Exactly. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, like it's really important for us to understand our role in, in society and the world and, and so on. Um, we don't necessarily have to be experts on, on everything. 
um, I think our role is is more this facilitation. Like um, we need to understand the problem so we can give it to folks that specialize in solutions uh, to, to try to, you know, I guess crowdsource everybody's expertise. You know, I think our society today, today everyone is increasingly specialized. So, uh, you know, you, if you have the right folks that can solve it, uh, let's just give them the right information at the right time and let them help us solve it. But, you know, make sure that you're solving the right problem in, in the right way. So I think it just philosophically changed how I see my role in the process and in the world and, and everything. What was the what was your philosophy before IDEO from the process perspective? You are, for example, looking to build the best product. And how do you look at the process uh, before IDEO? Um, I think before, there's probably a little overconfidence, you know, and I, I definitely, I think most uh, 20-something uh, folks is in the designer, I think we get, um, I, I think design school maybe teaches you uh, the maybe the wrong things a little bit. Um, I think in what way? aesthetic... Well, I just think aesthetic is maybe like a little, uh, there's, there's maybe too much value assigned to it and, uh, like finesse and, and obviously these, these things are really, really important. Like the way that someone feels, uh, when they're using a product or with the way they engage a product is super important, but there, there are other things that are really important too. Um, so I think, I think, um, prior, I put a, a too much weight on maybe aesthetic and craft and, uh, the visualization and, you know, all, all the polished things that maybe come later mm-hmm. in the process uh, and, and, and not enough um, focus on like the, the actual uh, end user. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I think there was really valuable mistakes that come in, in, in youth and ambition and being bright eyed and bushy tailed is, is really helpful, but there's also a, a, you know, you need to go through these steps to, um, to, to maximize your impact. Totally. You had uh, a few interesting stories about uh, working with uh, luxury uh, car makers. And tell us about one of them, like working with uh, car, uh, with the keys, with the design of the keys mm-hmm. for, for a luxury sure. vehicle. You're talking like 100,000 plus, like 200,000 plus type of level. And h- how do you approach the design there because the statics is such, such, such a key element in it. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a fun one because, um, yeah, it, if we, if we were to take a, take a step back um, and, and understand the problem, there's, there's a few different problems there. On one end, luxury cars uh, gain in value and um, folks tend to go through them um, every one or two years. The average owner is going to be selling their car. Um, and what's, it's kind of a bummer because every time they sell it, it's, it's a bit like art in a way that the artist doesn't really get uh, a piece of that transaction. So, uh, it's, it's an appreciating asset. Uh, and once it's sold, um, there's, there's no way for the, the creator, the luxury car maker to capture that money. Um, and on the other end of, of, uh, on, for the customer, they have a subpar experience too. Um, the thing that we, we really f- found was interesting 
I think this was the core insight. Um, when you, whenever you uh, approach a, a new problem space, it's important to just forget everything that you know about or what you think you know about it uh, and, and just come in like completely fresh. And we just started to talk, talking to owners. And um, the thing that we heard was that they would kind of like steal little bits from the car. Uh, you know, say they had like three or four over a lifetime and they were really uh, meaningful to them. Um, they represent like pride and success and they, they represent maybe times with their dad or, you know, going to the racetrack, all the activities, stuff like that. So what they would do, they'd steal like a lug nut or like, you know, a, a piece of, of like maybe the manual or whatever. People had like different kind of interests and they had like little shrines of like, hey, these are all the cars that I've had and I'm so proud of them. So we're looking at that. We're like, huh, okay. So this is the existing human behavior. People are sentimental yeah. about these things. Um, how can how can we capture that? How can we leverage this existing behavior? Um, so we're we're looking at um, this one pain point, and the big pain point that we heard was the key. Uh, and we went into the project not really knowing what we were going to do or anything. We're just like, all right, let's try to help this business, um, you know, uh, increase their bottom line. So we heard this pain point. Uh, it, of folks like buying half a million dollar car and they'd get a key and it was kind of like busted and scratched and old and uh, whatever, you know, just like yeah. wasn't a nice experience. Um, especially something they spend a half a million dollars on. Like you kind of want like a nice one. So and we just, we put and, the and, two and together. You were saying, and you were saying Sean, that you actually spend a lot of time with the key, more time with the key than the car. It's true. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people, yeah, like it's it's the it's part of them. Like they put it on the desk, or you know, when when you go to a meeting, you put it on the table, um, and it, it represents like a little bit more than you know. It's a little bit of showiness, um, but it's just more intimate. You know, you spend a lot more time with the key than you do the car for right. sure. But what's interesting is we put those two things together, and we're like, okay, we have uh, people with this existing behavior of stealing stuff from the car. And this problem, this pain point of the key uh, is, is not kind of up there, up to their expectations. Like, what if we put them together? Uh, and, and so what we did is we created this key that stays with the customer uh, instead of with the car. So we flipped the idea of the, the key kind of on its head. Um, and what's nice about that is uh, when you get a new, when you buy a car, um, most, most Ferraris are secondhand. Um, and you have the, the option to customize and personalize your car. It could be made of gold or, you know, diamonds or whatever. Um, and there you go. Um, you get to keep the key when you're done. You, you pass it on to someone else and, and they have the ability uh, to customize their own key as well. So uh, it's the thing that they can keep forever uh, and, and put it on their wall or, you know, something like that. And it ended up being wildly successful. So hmm. a lot of interest. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so essentially they make a copy of the key, right? So let's say you have a secondhand Ferrari and, and those actually, those cars, they like a thousand kilometers a range is already like a lot, a lot of miles for that car, like a thousand miles, for example, that's like a lot. That's like a super, mm -hmm. it's like 200,000 in Toyota Corolla kind of money. 
And so let's say you are reselling that Ferrari and the company you'd be working with, you worked with, they basically make a similar key or a custom key that looks like an original or it's a completely customized version for an original owner. And then the owner who buys one, the new owner, then they do get either the old key or they can get another key again with the custom design of their choice. Is yeah, a little works? bit like that. I, I think I think it would be more like, you know, they would have to buy a new key every time. And I think that uh, it, it, there's obviously different price scales. But the nice thing about that for the business is uh, they're, they're able to make more revenue on, on, on resale. And that's something that most car companies haven't figured out how to do yet. Um, because, you know, not every car is an appreciating asset, of course, but uh, it's, it's very rare for like a, a car company uh, to be able to recapture some of that. So uh, as long mm -hmm. as you have the, the audience that's willing to do that, if you're buying a Corolla, you know, maybe you don't, you're kind of, you know, you don't really want to spend extra for like a new key, of course, it's more of a, a pain point, but it, once you get into like um, luxury cars, it's, it's like a little bit different, you know, so um, people are willing to, to pay a little bit, bit more. And, and it's nice because it, it sort of subsidizes other parts of their business um, to, you know, racing is, is a huge factor for them. And um, yeah, just, just, the, the cars are handmade and beautiful yeah. pieces of art. So you're, you're, you're financing the, the whole thing, you know, the artist, I, I would call it more than a car company. Right. No, no. And, and it's important to, to have that context because uh, it's, it's, uh, it's like basically people who pay, who buy those 50,000 to a hundred thousand dollar watches. Uh, those are the guys yes. who collect those watches. Those are the kind of folks who have that, that mindset and that thinking that is similar to a car key. So it's not like an actual necessarily utility, although it is, it's also the something mm -hmm. that a piece of luxury that you would normally have, and it could be your memory and all of that stuff. But then that's the reason they would spend that much money on it and would actually care versus for somebody who's buying a normal car, it's, it's a key. You just open mm -hmm. it, that's it. Like that's, that's where the value ends. Yeah, yeah, and I think I and I think other car companies have kind of caught on to this a little bit because I'm starting to see a little bit uh, more more out there now. So it's it's fun to see, you know, this tiny little idea that came just from talking to a couple dozen um, owners uh, and, and just recognizing this teeny tiny little thing. Like for us, it's just this lug nut uh, uh, collection that was. Um, beautifully displayed you know it's just like a passing thing we just noticed it really, oh what's that and then from the start of that just this little thing uh ends up being you know the core of of like you know this this potentially big uh i, I can't speak to you know um how how it is is doing or, or if it's still in production sure. but um but yeah it's just just this little thing can can sometimes create big waves and, and really influence like entire sectors. So I think that's probably the fun part of it. Yeah. Absolutely. That discovery. How many folks, Sean, did you need to interview once you gained that critical piece of evidence to say, you know what, this is like, we should actually go and, and, and do something or maybe do like a trial run. How many people do you need to um, 
uh, have that confirmation? Well, there's there's a few different answers to that. I think it really depends. Like on some projects, like if if um, you need to find a good overlap for sure. Um, but if we take the one wonderful... with the, with the key, mm -hmm. if we if we just stay with the mm -hmm. with the car key example. So, how many people did we have to talk to in order yes. to find the pattern? Not yeah, after many. you after you found <laughs> that you had that insight, you're like, okay, how many people yeah. you need to you needed to speak after? Yeah, I mean, uh, as soon as we recognized it, oh, we just asked, like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about the key? Oh my god, it's a visceral experience, you know, like two more people, and we're like, all right, this is. This is what we need to focus on, guys. You know, it would be fun to redesign, you know, a, a, mm -hmm. a beautiful um, luxury car like that. But let's focus on this little piece of, of, of impact, because if, if this is what everyone hates, you know, uh, we, we got to do it. So, yeah. What is the one product design feature or product design that you worked on that didn't really go super well? What, oh, what was something that that was just <laughs> like that little horror story or big horror story that, uh, that yeah. unfolded? Yeah, the, there, there's there's been there's been a few. There's the one that comes to mind is is um, I think I spoke earlier about this uh, about jumping into hey I have an idea, yes, and and then your whole life becomes about like. Uh, bringing that idea to life, or that's a, that's your hypothesis. So in one case, um, I worked worked in the mining industry. Now, mining is is really important part of the world. You know, we all have iPhones. Uh, basically, anything that uh, isn't isn't wood um, has has been extracted from the ground. So it's everything from copper to rare earths to lithium to whatever. Um, just look around your room, and 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 you'll. Uh, you'll understand just how much um, the world depends on it. So anyways, it's a very, uh, I, I'd say for designers, a little bit neglected of, of an industry. So we're looking at this this problem space and someone has an idea. And this is a little bit before, before my time. They're like, what if we, uh, so there's one part of this mining process where um, you need to scan the entire geometry, the surface, the topology of the land, and you have to be able to simulate um, what what's going to happen um, after the extraction process. So that's that's like a, a long way of saying like you just need to like constantly um, scan and capture data all the time. So someone had is, an idea. And, yeah, Sean, yeah. this is it, it works in a similar way as before you start digging up the land and then setting up the perimeter and mm -hmm. like, like, like oil drilling, right. Analogy. I'm more familiar mm -hmm. with that before you do all of that, you need to have like some kind of a model 3d or whatever to say, this is what it's going to look like. And we're going to put these buildings and that, that stuff. And, uh, and you need to scan first. Yep. You got it. Yeah. And, and most importantly, it, it's a safety thing because right. you need to evaluate. Um, so, Sometimes there's explosions involved, um, depending on what you're trying to do. Sometimes it's uh, extraction, sometimes there's explosion, and so on. There's all these different processes. So <clears throat> what the computer is really good at is like simulating, hey, if you like do this, this, and this to this piece of land, 
then this will happen and um, right. everything's good. But if you kind of mess it up, uh, people can get hurt. And, and it happens, you know, uh, we have a long history of people getting hurt. So it's, yeah, there's two things. It's optimization and safety and so on. So anyways, the someone had an idea like, oh, what if we had drones to, to do mm -hmm. all this, you know, scanning for us? We have, we've built robots to do this thing. Like, let's just do that. And on the surface, like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's, let's just go do that. And, and um, uh, so the, the vision is, is very sound and, and it makes a lot of sense in theory and, mm -hmm. and everything. So uh, the, the, <clears throat> organization I was working with uh, was had been building you know this this flight uh, drone flight simulator controller and photogrammetry system to turn the land into 3d and and everything was great the problem yeah. was that they've never tested it before uh, so that that mm -hmm. was the moment uh, that was the moment at which I came into the uh, the process and I'm like hey this is cool guys everything's great uh let's just let's go try it out and everyone's like wait what like it works i'm like well you know let's let's go see um so i brought the whole team and we tried it out and it did not work even um even even slightly you know some of the problems are you know <clears throat> the faa has uh, a lot of regulations over a drone and certain areas um you just you can't fly and and then other things it's like sometimes it's cold you know if, if you're up in alaska or, or different parts of the world that are a little bit chilly like batteries don't really work as well and then you have other issues like range or you know photogrammetry and then all these other things so um there's all these problems with the that potential solution even though it sounds great on paper and it makes a lot of sense, um, sometimes the reality of the situation is that, hey, we're dealing with physics and, and physics is like a pretty tough thing uh, to, to, to jump on. So, um, you know, that, I think that was a good learning for a lot of folks. Um, unfortunately, there was a little bit of time wasted, and, uh, but that, that happens too. So uh figuring out how to how to tactfully navigate that and improve the product from there that's um hmm. that requires a little bit of fun of course and there's some learnings on along the way which is pretty mm -hmm. natural what do you think sean and, and what point of the project would have made sense to to test like what uh, like where when did they miss that window yeah, I think I think there's a lot of components there that you could uh, test individually. So uh, the first thing that I did was <clears throat> tested each individual element to see which element was the weakest link. So, for instance, photogrammetry is uh, you don't necessarily need a drone to do it. So photogrammetry is where you take a bunch of photos and uh, you just kind of stitch them together and based off their depth, it will give you like a 3D model. So um, I I went basically down the street and uh, went to a closet and I pulled out a broom and I duct taped the photogrammetry computer to the top of a broom and I just started scanning. And I'm like, all right, cool. Well, that works. That's good. 
Um, and then we go to the drone. We're like, okay, this is like the weakest link here. We have all these things. How can we solve it? And the reality is like, this, this is a pretty weak link. Let's like, let's find another way to solve it. And then there's all these other things like, um, you know, factors, but if you start breaking down, um, every piece into its individual variable and do this thing called paper prototyping, that's like jargon design jargon for Hmm. start simple, you know, let's do it with cardboard. Let's do it with foam. Let's do it with broomsticks. Let's do it with, you know, whatever we have laying around. Um, the, 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 the house. Um, and if we can do that, then, then we're, we're in a good place. So, yeah. Mm. Apple comes to mind how many, they, they always make like 50 or like a hundred iPhones, at least they used to back in the day, uh, with, uh, mm-hmm. foam, like some like dense foam, uh, and, uh, they would be testing like all these like 0.01 inch in, in, um, increasing numbers of size, mm-hmm. sizes, shapes, and everything, and uh, all their product designs. So like so much testing is done, like you're saying, basically with that, with those materials. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I feel like every good industrial designer is probably a really good woodworker uh, or has yeah. a pretty killer wood shop. So it's funny, I have like tons of foam and wood tools, and I'm constantly just like, you know, shaping foam into different things. And because you, you can do a really quick thing and, and learn so much from it in, in minutes. Um, so I, I think it's really important for people to not jump too, too quickly into the box because it just doesn't give you as much, you know, it doesn't give you presence like, like an actual product, a, a physical thing. So, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of mobile phones, of smartphones. And what is shocking to me still is how many manufacturers right now do the curved screen. Uh, and when they started doing curved screens, it looked cool. I'll, I'll give them that. It looked cool. But ergonomically, mm-hmm. it is absolutely disaster. It's disastrous. It fits terribly in your hand, even if you try mm-hmm. to, to make the edge as smooth as you can, which is very difficult when the glass goes inside the aluminum side. It's very difficult to do. But it's also like the ergonomics in terms of accidental touches are incredibly difficult to solve with the software. Mm-hmm. It almost never works perfectly. And, but they keep doing it. They keep doing it. So that is just so <laughs> surprising. Like, why would it is a, such a massive sacrifice? And if you look at Apple, Apple obviously never done that and never even tried. But like these guys, China, I'm mostly speaking about Chinese companies, they keep like hammering yeah. one after another after another. Like, why? Well, it's, uh, it's one, one word. It's called marketing. You know, when, when a marketing uh, team uh, is, is like... Um, Running the company, you know, th- it, there's probably some sound evidence saying that consumers may or may not be interested in something like that. And, um, you know, when, once that that comes through, um, it's it's hard to it's hard to not uh, go down that road, even though, yeah, like the design isn't, you know, that great or whatever. Um, but at the moment, you, you see like, oh, people like might be interested in curve phones. Let's give it a go. And you know, a lot of products fail, so it's hard, it's hard to tell, but yeah, unless it's solving like a real problem, I think, I think just keep it simple, you know? So. Right. Know. But it's, 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 these are like degrees of emphasis based on, mm-hmm. on the competition, which is smartphones are ridiculously terrible, like terrible, probably the worst market to be at mm-hmm. because how many products are there, but also maybe to your point, 
a little bit because of the company is influenced by people who are in marketing more. So then your mm -hmm. ergonomics is still on the list, but it's just like somewhere further down. Yeah, yeah. A lot of folks, it's like the bottom line is the, the, the priority and, and sometimes like, you know, user experience and user needs. Unfortunately, it seems like the older a company gets, the, the more detached they get um, from their customers. And I'm not sure why that happens, because in theory, the bigger you get, um, the, the better off, the, the more in touch with customers you should be because you have more people you know, in, in more access, you should, you should be able to scale, scale it up. But for whatever reason, bigger companies, uh, lose, lose track, uh, um, of, of, you know, the world's changing so fast every day. Um, so it's really important for companies to just, just stay involved, to stay, to understand, you know, like, like let's trade in some of these like mm -hmm. management meetings for customer meetings. Um, I, I recommend that for everybody. Um, and it seems like there's a little bit of a fear about it or discomfort or whatever, but you know, you, you do it and it, it's like after two minutes, uh, if it feels great and you learn something all the time. So I, if I could recommend something to any company in the world, just try to stay as close to your customers as possible, make it a huge priority because otherwise you're just going to uh, miss out on, on opportunities. So, yeah, yeah, so true. I think it's also the layers of bureaucracy that the big companies add. Mm -hmm. And it's like you, and especially when you're trying to get the customer insight, well, talk to salespeople or talk to the marketing people. And then you mm -hmm. very, like the bigger the company, often I find that it's, it's harder and harder to get to an actual customer because that information is being either assumed and being PDF'd or documented somewhere, or it's the older mm -hmm. one that you need to reuse. But to get to an actual customer, there's also this customer success guys who say, no, 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 we can't because we need to talk to them about X, Y, Z. So it becomes this really weird battle of trying to get to an actual user. Um, and it's, it's, it is a tough one. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was at McKinsey, uh, you, you often have to work with a lot of large organizations. And, you know, we have to play by the rules, of course, but there's just always this discomfort about uh, talking with customers. And, but what they don't realize is that this is what built your company. Like you understanding the problem uh, is so much more important than the discomfort. So um, yeah, I recommend that to everyone. It's gosh, it's so important. Um, can't, can't emphasize that enough. Agreed. Sean, what is the one thing that people don't ask you about product design? that you wished they did hmm. on the podcast and maybe at the work, maybe at the bar, something that um, you don't get to ask, you don't get asked often. Yeah, I, I think there's, I guess there's always an assumption of, of like what, what, what designers do, which is, you know, kind of uh, been created for through myth and mythology, you know, everyone knows Steve, Steve Jobs and, you know, other, other like design leaders and stuff. And a lot of, a lot of us think that, you know, we kind of do that every day, you know, all day and stuff. And, and yeah, there's, there's definitely like a subset 
Um, but there's also, I think, a vast majority of, of, of our lives is, is, is spent on like, you know, different types of problems and evaluating problems and stuff. So I think there's definitely like, um, the thing that I'm not asked is like, what is design, I think? Um, and, and it's funny because like everybody has a different answer, you know? Yeah. Um, for, for me, for me, it's, um, it's just about, it's, it's super simple. It's just talking to people, understanding their problems and then try to solve it, you know? Uh, but I think for whatever reason, there's like all these different definitions, like design is usability, design is like beauty, design is art, design is functionality. There's all these like things that get attached to it. But I think at the end of the day, all these other things, they're important, but the core thing is just solve a problem because, um, if, if you're not doing that, you're, you're not really, you're doing the job. Um, we're, 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 we're going down the wrong, the wrong road and we're focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. How, how would you differentiate Sean product design versus product management? Where do you draw the parallel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the different types of data that you use. Like product management is, is very quantitative and I feel like product design is very qualitative. And what that means is like that we we're kind of a little bit more touchy feely and, and we interview more people and we have to synthesize a different type of different data set. You know, feelings are really important and um, the way people react is really important. Um, we're really important at the early stages of the, the process when there doesn't exist data, you know. Um, for instance, like I could imagine it at the beginning of Uber or Lyft. You know, just the question is like, hey, we um, if you're if you're demoing like this technology, you, you kind of fake it. Like, what do you think about this idea? Uh, and then you test it out, uh, having a random person pick you up and bring you to the airport. Yeah. And and just that qualitative idea of like, hey, how how was it? Was that cool? Was that good? Was it weird? Mm-hmm. You know, or so on. Like, that's where a product designer is really good. And then as as you get more data. Uh, later in the process, it's 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 really important to bring in, you know, really good analysis-driven uh, folks um, that can, you know, really understand behaviors and stuff like that, the things that, you know, a designer isn't maybe good at. So uh, they're really important, um, and we're, we're really important, and we just have different tools, um, uh, and we approach it in, in, like, a different a different way. So... Um, we have our weaknesses and, and they have their weaknesses. So I think we're, we're beautiful, like yin and yang. Mm-hmm. And how much, how much emphasis do you think, Sean, you would put, you would, uh, put on the pure visual component. So like, uh, wireframes, um, maybe mm-hmm. physical designs in, in your work, in your world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's really important of course, uh, but, but tastes change so much and stuff and, you know, the, the example that I like to think of is like, um, if you use Amazon and back in like 1997 or something, I'm sure compared to today's standards, it was a pretty terrible experience, but it worked and, and people loved it because that it, it solved their problem. It, it, it got them their book within a couple days that they wanted. Uh, and, and that, that was, that was it. So um, obviously beauty and delight is really important, but for me, um, I'd, I'd say it's, it's the most overrated element, uh, which really pains really? me to say, be- because I'm like, um, 
I love visuals. Like I love aesthetics and, you know, I spent most of my life and building like beautiful 3d websites and ads and stuff. So I love slick looking stuff, but the older I get, the realize it's not really that important at all. So, Hmm. yeah. Well, there, well, there we go, Sean, this was, uh, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm sure our audience will uh, thoroughly enjoy those two great examples and other cool bits that you have shared with us today. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. 